five, four, three, two. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. And I'm Sam Harrelson. Thomas, you have uh, you have no rhythm. No rhythm? <laughs> five. Four, three. No, no, no. Three. I was I was getting on the count on the uh on the counter. Like I started my five a little later, a little earlier, one or the other. And so then I was getting on the second counter. So then uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> That's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. I, this is true that I probably don't actually have any rhythm. That's okay. I won't make a joke about our, our race. Um What a what a week. Big week. Man. How, how are things in in Tallahassee? Um, you know, what do we say? Why do we say Tallahassee? Is that from the Native American group or something? Is that a like shouldn't it be Tallahassee with the double yeah. L's? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've not looked into that to be honest with you. I've only lived here like <laughs> four years or five, almost five. Um, what, what's the what's the town in Florida? Apopopka or something? Oh yeah, I don't know. I all these like a lot of names I drive by, and I'm obviously pretty good with languages. I drive by on the road, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I can come up with three different ways to pronounce that, and I have no idea which one's correct. Yeah, that's that's. But I've obviously uh, I've not worked in any Native American languages, so that's why I'm completely lost in that. But Tallahassee is is how everybody says it. Yeah, it's it's like in Western North Carolina where they have uh, the Cherokee. Um, there, you can actually go into you know the the town or the, the village of, of Cherokee, and right. all the roadsides are in the Cherokee language, and uh, it's it's really fascinating to go back because so much of um, that language was basically reconstructed. It was kind of like North Korea after you know after yeah. uh, the Korean War. Like they they really had to go in and, and create this new language based on what they kind of thought was you know historically happening, um, you know, but but having to go to Oklahoma and, and talk to, uh, you know, the Cherokee that were there and, and figure out, okay, well, how does our culture view this and that? And so it's kind of cool sort of constructed, um, constructed culture there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it all is right. Well, yeah. Especially, you know, when you see the, the sad parts of Cherokee where, you know, the chiefs on the side of the road with the big headdress and you can stop and take a picture with them and it's tomahawk. Yeah. But we won't go into that. Go Atlanta Braves um, and Seminoles. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, right. Seminoles yeah. and the Redskins. Yeah. Well, at least I mean, at least I mean, it's I don't think it's great, but but the the Florida State does have a relationship with the Seminole Tribe of Florida, um, and from what I understand, a pretty good relationship. So, yeah, that's what I've heard too. Yeah. And so you know, even if they're doing the tomahawk chop thing, doing the yeah, and you know, the in game. the fight song, saying scalp them. Does it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. And what's the uh, what's what's the the guy's name who comes out on horseback? Osceola, and the flaming arrow. Osceola comes Osceola? out riding renegade. Yep, throws the arrow, <laughs> the flaming arrow, down at midfield. Is Osceola really a Native American, or is is he a white guy in red face? Um, I think it's gone back and forth, um, oh depending on who the student is that is Osceola at the time. Now, I will say, I don't think it, it's not like. It's not like full on red face. It's just kind of um, war paint, I guess, for lack of a better term. Oh, I see. So, so if the guy is white, then he. It's still just like war paint on. He's it's a white guy yeah, with war paint. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, and there's some people that are doing, you know, good kind of scholarship on it here too, like at Florida state, um, kind of with all that's going on with that. But yeah, it's definitely think about it a lot at the football games. Um, <laughs> cannot really bring <laughs> well, myself to sing the whole fight song. It's album. It, the show title. It, it's really, um, you know, fascinating. Even, even if you consider things like him riding a horse, you know, because, Horses didn't make it to North America until the Europeans brought them over. So, you know, even that is kind of a a construction, if you will, by European Caucasians. But but it makes for yeah, a good entrance to a college football game. <laughs> I mean, it does. It does fairly you know, consistently get ranked as like the best college football entrance. Yeah, I mean, you know, at Clemson, we we run down the hill, yeah, which is kind of nice. But, you know. No, no. No, no. <laughs> they wrote the rock. No. Howard's rock. No. I'm tired of this. Like Clemson has this great entrance. They get in a bus <laughs> and they drive 10 miles an hour around no, but the, that's part of the it. stadium. And yeah, but you're banging on the bus and the players are, are jumping up and down. No, and this, is, players. this is so lame. Oh man. No, I just, no, I can't, I can't accept that. It, it's you know, maybe it's really not lame, the it, worst, but it's nowhere near being the best. So this will probably be oh, come the on. thing I get the most hate mail over too, but yeah, this is it's the most exciting. And then they run uh, down what, the hill. Most exciting five moments in college football, as we say. Well, that's what uh, what's his name says, right? Every you know, most exciting five seconds in college. Who is the uh, the announcer that's always Kirk Herbstreit? No, it's not Kirk. It's um the guy that used to call the games with him, but doesn't anymore. I can't remember. I um, no, yeah, and then they run down a hill. Like, come on! Yeah, I mean. So you do what every middle school and Pop Warner League does, except you go downhill <laughs> instead of flat. Like, there's nothing exciting. I don't but there's know. There's the rock, and and it's symbolic because you know Coach Howard said, Boo. if you're not going to give 100, percent don't don't touch my rock. Boo. You know, you know who has the worst introduction of all time? Those is the here in Columbia, the University of South Carolina. Um, <laughs> speaking of hate mail, I would say that they come in 2001, like you know, don't don't yeah. don't don't, and. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the movie 2001 and that song means something completely different than coming into a football yeah. game. So you talk about construction of, of experience and, uh, yeah, but so these are then, kind of these great examples of what we might call like civic religion though. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. You, you exactly. have your liturgy, right. That you perform on a regular basis and it is somewhat participatory. Yeah. Yeah, I think good examples there. Um, and it always comes up, right? So we always do this, like, how do you define religion? And, you know, the point is to get the students to realize that you can't define religion because it's a, you know, from an academic standpoint, because it's a completely constructed concept. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we can't kind of settle on a definition. And inevitably, they want to talk about Florida State football as a religion, as an example of a religion. Uh, oh, it is. Yeah. But... But it's also not, I mean, right. Cause if you kind of think like religion as a thing doesn't exist, then you can't really say that Florida state football is that. Um, but the other thing that it does, right. Is it takes this um, particular idea of religion, i.e. Christianity as the quintessential um, example of religion. And then says, well, this looks like this thing that Christianity does. So we're going to count it as religion. Right, well, we talked about this. We talked about this last year, didn't we? Right, with going to Japan and yeah. figuring that out, and we talked about this with like like the koi koi in South Africa. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's that same type thing. We're just now applying it to college football. Or, I mean, think about a Trump rally. You know, where you have 
the Pledge of Allegiance. You have God Bless America. Um, you have, you know, kind of that same buildup of emotion, mm-hmm. you know, just like you have in a, in a Christian church service where things start off kind of small, and at least in the Protestant, you know, slash evangelical side, you know, things start off kind of small, and you you raise the stakes until you get to the the crowning, you know, climax, which is the the sermon, perhaps, and then you know you kind of get the 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 cool down lap with the with the benediction <laughs> cool down lap yeah but <laughs> but right so why should we so so my central question is why should we say these other things look like religion instead of saying these things we've been calling religion actually look like these other things they look like sporting events they look like political rallies right i mean i think that's a a better way to talk about it personally well i think that's that's also the the reason we have so much discomfort with things or concepts like Islam or, uh, you know, even, you know, to, to some, uh, level, you know, things like, like Orthodox Judaism that are so different than what you experience in a Christian church or at a NASCAR race or at a football game, which are very similar. You know, you have a big meal. Um, you might not drink a lot of beer before church or you might, some people do (laughs) (laughs) if it's, you know, it, it depends on where you go. And, (laughs) <laughs> and then, you know, afterwards you, you know, you kind of, you all walk out and some people stick around, but most people get in their cars and they leave. And that's, you know, you take that with you. Um, and, and I, I mean, I, I definitely feel that way, like at NASCAR races where you have the Bennett or you have a prayer at the beginning and then you have this event and then, you know, the, the stands empty out rather quickly afterwards yeah. and we all go out to, you know, golden corral or whatever and have the buffet. Um, but I, I, I do wonder if, if that's part of why things like Trump's messaging about Islam or the Republican messaging, not just Trump, uh, about things that are other than the, you know, quote, American experience uh, resonate with so many people. Because, like you said, you know, a NASCAR race looks like a church event and a church event sometimes looks, <laughs> looks like a NASCAR race yeah. uh, and or college football game. And that's what the sort of the mass majority of people assume is how things are supposed to go. So if you've got people, you know, prostrating themselves on the floor and praying five times a day on a rug, that's weird, you know, according to the, right. that thinking. Right. And, and that's challenging. And, you know, there, that's not real, you know, college football games, you can't, you can't have that kind of an experience. Um, yeah. But so, so what's, so what's yeah. going on here. Right. And I mean, this is kind of my big thing, kind of the way I, talk in large kind of general terms about what I do is what you see here is how you see the process of difference being made meaningful, right? Because obviously like difference exists. Now, sometimes the difference is created. I mean, I, I completely believe that, but difference exists. And so what you see here is how the difference is made meaningful, which ones matter and which ones don't. Right. So it matters, for instance, and I think that's a good example that um, we don't, you know, get down and prostrate ourselves, uh, you know, as good American Christians uh, to pray. And Muslims do. Well, we've decided that that's a difference that matters, but other differences we've decided don't matter. Right. Between, say, like kneeling on a pew bench, you know, versus standing to pray you know still different you know there's a different kind of physicality in that but we've decided that's a difference that doesn't matter 
Right. And so that, that's what's interesting to me is seeing is, is how much you can learn by seeing um, which differences are made to matter and how those differences are made meaningful. That's really interesting. Um, we, we had a conversation about foot washing once in our in a, in a church. And, uh, you know, some people just don't want to do it because they, you know, they have an aversion to that. And they, you know, that that's something that's intimate. And, you know, it's, it's not just the people that don't want their feet washed. It's the people that don't want to do the foot washing. Um, and I, I think that's kind of similar in a way. You know, you don't see that in a whole lot of churches, especially in the Protestant world. Yeah. And when you do, it's it's a really special event or it's you know, something that isn't going to happen every every so often. Or, I mean, even even Eucharist, you know, if you're Catholic, <laughs> you do mass as much as you can, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. At least weekly, uh, if not daily. Uh, if, if you're you know, Episcopalian, you, you might go. So like yesterday, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend who's, who's Episcopalian and, and uh, he was remarking about um, uh, something to do with communion and, and how his church didn't do communion one Sunday and everyone got upset, but they were trying to fit in all this other stuff. And uh, he's like, yeah, and almost, almost split the church, which yeah, <laughs> it's sort of understandable for them. But, the, you know, if you're Baptist, you do it once a quarter. Right. And some Methodist churches do it, you know, once a quarter. I don't, I don't know about the crazy Presbyterians. Um, so I think that's even that, you know, because when you have the Lord's Supper, as we call it in Baptist world, when you have the Lord's Supper, it's a special Sunday. And, right. you know, it's, it's out of the ordinary when perhaps that should be <laughs> the thing that's ordinary. But then it's weird because everyone in every church I've been at sort of does it a little differently and people have to get up and they have to walk and, you know, what about the elderly? What about the young people? What about the, the people who can't walk? And we got to figure out all these logistics. So let's let's just do that once a quarter. Right. <laughs> yes. Or let's just pass the, uh, the trays around, right? Oh, or we do, the, God, don't or, or we can do the, the rip and dip, right? The intention. <laughs> Trinity calls I like it, Trinity calls it rip and like dip. Yeah, we do that. Rip and dip, that's good. Um, I think right. we alternate. Um, and then, or, you know, you got off the gluten-free Jesus. <laughs> I remember at a, a seminary when I, when you yes. and I were in worship class together, <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> I used the uh, the Manischewitz wine. Yeah, and everybody and was freaking out. They, I, I really thought I was going to get kicked out of Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, the 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 the, uh, the little plastic shot glasses kill me because I so the, the church where I grew up. A small little country church in South Carolina. We did the the shot glasses, and I, <laughs> I have this enduring memory of this elderly elderly lady who was sitting beside me, passing. You know, this. If you've never done this before, you've got to go to like some little small Baptist church and do the shot glass thing. Uh, so there, it's kind of like a tray that's round. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is for every church, right? And the shot glasses go inside of these little slots. So you've got this big tray, if you're near the front of the church, that's got all these, you know, like 30 little shot glasses of, of grape juice. And they're full, I, like to the brim full. And they're full because, right. <laughs> you know, some lady in the back just kept pouring it up, you know. Yep. And and they're passing these things and they're rattling. So anyway, I, I just have this horrible memory of when I was like 13 or 14 of my, uh, <laughs> this lady passing me this thing. And I, and I take it. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to hold it and the person who passes it to you is supposed to take the shot glass right, out. Right, right. So 
you know, I, I finally get it from her and I'm like, whoo, God, you know, th thankfully I didn't drop, you know, the blood of Jesus here. So I go to give it to my cousin who's sitting beside me, who's same age and we're best friends and good buddies and all that stuff. And, and he holds it. And then, um, he goes to take his shot glass out before he's passed it on. And I'm like, don't do that. So he, he picks it up and it, and it drops and it spills all, all over his lap. <laughs> and I was like, ha ha. So then out of God's divine majesty, the whole thing like flips on me. <laughs> so all these, you know, it was, I, I'm sure it was like 30 shot glasses of grape juice go all over me and the, the pew and the beautiful blue felt pew or whatever it was and the carpet and everybody just stops and, and looks at me like I'm, you know, I'm a witch. And I really thought, yeah, I really thought, yeah, I really thought, okay, they're going to go take me and, and tie me to a stake or, or put me in a, in a dunking thing and, and, you know, in my life. And yeah, well, I'm, I'm in Salem. Um, now I don't remember what happened. I just remember my parents were so upset at me and they thought it was, you know, something I was trying to do funny, but anyway, long story, but, um, don't don't do the shot glass. That's great. Thing. That just so, that creates were, so much. You were literally <laughs> covered by the blood of Jesus, <laughs> all over my lap. Yep, <laughs> it was uh, and my khakis. Quite quite the experience. Um, let's see. So college football, blood of Jesus, rip and dip. What's your? Do you like common cup? What do you like ripping? Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the common cup. I'm not a huge, I like, I'm not a germaphobe or anything, but eh, you know, I like the rip and dip. I like the intinction. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd never done that until I went to college and, uh, and I went to a Methodist school. Particularly because the, like, then you actually get, you're actually getting real bread. Right. And not this like chiclet right. Jesus. That's always still, um, Oh yeah, and that's the other thing about the about the shot glass. So, <laughs> you take white bread and you dice it up into really small pieces, and you, then you pass those as well. And, and they're like these little small sugar cubes of white bread. Yeah, except it's which, it's not just like actual white bread. I mean, because it's always denser, right? It's like they yeah, buy right. it like this, right? So it's denser. it's like a crouton. It's like a crouton, <laughs> but like but like a moist crouton. <laughs> right, yeah, right. It's, it's horrible. It, Jesus's body has a strange texture yeah, to it. So. Jesus is a little yeah. stale today, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, but like, yeah, at, yeah, at our church, uh, when we do intinction, like they, the bread is always homemade and it's good. So you can like get a big chunk of Jesus and dip it in. And, <laughs> yeah. You know. So you can have a little snack um, there if you forgot breakfast. Well, you know, it's, it's good for the, for the diabetics. It keeps their for the soul. blood pressure going. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I love Common Cup, but it's hard, harder and harder to find places that do that unless you're like high Episcopal or, or Catholic. No. I did, I did a common cup once at St. Peter's in Rome. And that was, that was pretty special. Don't tell anybody. Right. Because you know, you're, you're not, you're supposed, not to. supposed to, <laughs> because yeah. you're not Catholic. Right. Yeah. But ain't nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, speaking of the blood of Jesus, what about Trump? What's, what's going on this week? Anything? <laughs> Yeah, I, I so the 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 level is rising, right? We're about to get um, about to be standing in blood up to the bridle of the horses. <laughs> That's in Revelation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so we're close. We are close to so, the end of this age. It seems like is Trump the guy who has a sword in his hand and, and a tongue for his, or a sword for his tongue? No, I don't think no. It's that's Jesus. Jesus is the one that pulls the sword out of his mouth in Revelation. 
It doesn't say Jesus. It says it's, a, it's a, the, a rider from on high. Yeah, but it's clearly Jesus, and because he has a well. he has a thigh tattoo, right, which is pretty cool. And it's um, it's <laughs> like Lord right. of Lords and King of Kings or something <laughs> like that. I forgot about the tattoo. Yeah, and in another passage, yeah. he has one on his forehead. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. I'm not a big fan of the forehead that. tattoo, but I can get I can get behind a thigh tattoo. I, I can <laughs> I can get down with that. Forehead tattoo takes a lot of commitment. Yeah, yeah. As does a throat tattoo, which I saw. Yeah, which yeah. I saw in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, that also takes a lot of commitment. So more power to you. Um, yeah, I don't. So man, the the Trump thing is crazy. Obviously, I mean, we've all been talking about this and writing about it. Um, but the biggest news of the week, right? I mean, the biggest political news of the week was Rubio. Yeah. So we went, to, we went to vote here on Tuesday. I live in Florida. So, you know, it's a great thing about living here is like voting matters here, typically because we're screwing it up. But, you know, voting is a big deal here. It was quite amusing at the uh, the end of my street. There's a yard sign, or at least there was out. Um, I saw it the other morning. We walked to the polling place, uh, Trinity and I did, and um, early. I mean, we were numbers like 27 and 28, and there was a yard sign out that said, Florida is Marco Rubio country. Well, maybe not. And I told Trinity, I said, uh, that's funny because he's going to lose by 20 points today. And that's basically what he lost by. Um, yeah. But his speech, man, his speech was something else. It was. It was very, <clears throat> oh, man, Yale just beat Baylor. Take that. I went to Yale Div. To all my Baptist friends who went to Baylor Div. Um, yeah, so it's going to be Yale Duke for a game. <laughs> That's funny. Um, anyway, sorry. March Madness. Yeah, it, yeah so Rubio, um, he he would talk about religion and his personal religion or whatever, as, as you do, as you have to, as a Republican candidate. But he never struck me as somebody who was overly like compensating for it. You know, even in, in the debate, it's like he, you know, he would he would mention God or Jesus occasionally, but it wasn't, you know, that kind of fake thing that Trump does, or he, or, or you know, Pastor Ted Cruz, who you know loves him some Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, so Ruby always felt kind of like like Kasich, you know, sort of like that moderate, you know, nice, good Methodist guy who's who's religious, but you know, he's not going to slap you in the face with the Bible. Um, so but the speech just totally shocked me because <laughs> it was it was so over the top, uh, you know, Calvinist on, on one level, but yeah. also just theological, you know? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was so it was it was it was shocking because it seemed to me right that I mean, the way it felt to me watching it live was he feels like he can kind of be himself now on a national stage. Right. I mean, because he's. I, I think he is a lot more kind of evangelical religious than he had been letting on on a large national stage for various reasons. You think so? Whether that was the right play or not. Yeah, I think so. And I think he knew he couldn't win that lane, right? Because you have Cruz and Cruz was going to win the evangelical lane. I mean, he was, you know, Rubio was trying some, um, but not trying to win that completely. I mean, th why else, right? I, I can't figure out another reason why his speech would have been would have had so much, not like just religious imagery, religious overtones, but just straight up like religious theology. 
Um, so I can't figure what out is his background, why else. Is he? Well, he, so he's got a kind of a really mixed background in multiple churches, and he's kind of members of two different churches, uh, which is an odd thing and probably not a really smart thing. So you get people at both churches that are like, oh, I didn't know he goes somewhere else. I thought he was just a member here and that. Um, but I think they're, yeah, they're kind of evangelical churches. I don't remember the names of them right off. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't figure out another reason why he would have infused so much of that language into the speech other than he felt like it was an opportunity for him to say what he really thinks. Our neighbor bought an, a motorcycle and it's very annoying. <laughs> so if you hear my neighbor revving his Harley or whatever it is in, in the yard, that's, that's what that is. I apologize. I'll try to edit that out. Um, it's wonderful when he does it at like 10 o'clock at night and right, the baby of course. up. Great. Great. I mean, you should definitely get like a Harley with, you know, big ass pipes uh, in the middle of a, residential neighborhood yeah right okay Fantastic. okay so the the first kind of really interesting thing and i was watching it but i wasn't like sitting kind of i was doing a couple of things while it was on in the background and um and he's he says this and i was like that's proverb 16 and so i went back and read the transcript and looked it up to make sure i was right and it it was Proverbs 16, right? So he says, I take great comfort in the ancient word, right. which teaches us that in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps, which is almost verbatim from Proverbs 16, 9. Uh, and then he says, and so yet, while this may not have been the year for a hopeful and optimistic message about our future, I still remain hopeful and optimistic about America. So, you know, drop, he didn't say like in Proverbs, I mean, you can't do that, right? I mean, uh, even the president will say like, you know, as the good tells us, okay. Well, but that's the thing. So Hillary Clinton all the time, you know, is dropping John Wesley stuff, yes. you know, and like the famous, you know, uh, Henry Nowen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And Henry Nowen. Right. But and she'll drop in Proverbs or Psalms or, or something out of Ecclesiastes every now and then. And it makes huge news. And everyone on Facebook that I, you know, I'm friends with like, oh, see, you know, Hillary is, is really, you know, a strong Methodist and, and she's dropping these biblical illusions. Um but then Rubio does it, and and people kind of look at it as if it's, you know, cynical, well, or he's trying to play to some base to this sculpt. I I look at it as it's expected from Rubio. I mean, it's just what I expect. I think that's the thing is like, and this shows how important. It would, I mean, for a different kind of angle here, but shows how important expectations are. John Kasich has won one race, and now he is like going to be, you know, people think he's going to be, the, he's, he's, he made the final three and people think he might be the savior of the Republican party. Right. Which Whereas like, and Rubio yeah. and Bush are already out. I mean, it was just, Which it was just crazy, my mind. right. So, so the <laughs> expectation game I think is really important and people have an expectation. I think that Rubio is religious and they do not have that expectation from Hillary. I think you know, wrongly, but I think that's part of the reason why. That's a good point. That's a good point. But someone like Jeb Bush, like I really think he he takes his faith seriously, and he intentionally, you know, converted, if you will, from whatever his family is, you know, Episcopal into yeah. you know Catholic, right? And I think he I think he does take that seriously, or or at least you know honors that tradition. Um, but yeah, gosh, if he told us what six months ago when we when we first started talking about the Republican stuff and we were playing bingo at the debates back in yeah. you know August. If you had told me then that in March this would still be going on and it would not include Rubio or Bush or Christie even, I would 
think you're nuts. It is absolutely you know, like, crazy. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. But because we, we we kept saying like, well, Bush is going right, to get it. There's right. there's no don't doubt. call it a comeback. You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's he's going to swoop in. We're gonna we're gonna get on the Bush train, and everything's going to work. You know, Jeb exclamation point. And then when he dropped out, even back in what January, we thought, okay, okay, okay. All right, you know, it's Rubio's Jeb, turn now. Everybody's going to coalesce around yeah, him. Jeb didn't do it right, right. So it's got to be Rubio because who else is it going to be? It's not Kasich. We didn't even talk about Kasich. He was on the little stage. Um, he was at the kids' table, and then all of a sudden, you know, boom! It's Cruz or Kasich or Trump. Wow. But but I mean, right? But now we know why. Right, I mean Rubio because the Republican Party is falling apart. Oh well, no, no, this is this is a, a much more satisfying answer, and Rubio gave us this answer in his speech, and that is that it's part of it's all part of God's plan. Oh, right, okay, all right. So, so let's throw it out here a little bit in case you didn't watch the speech or don't remember it or whatever, haven't read the transcript like we like to do. We'll just give you some some of the highlights here. Uh, so while it is not God's plan that I be president in 2016 or maybe ever. And while today my campaign is suspended, the fact that I've even come this far is evidence of how special America truly is. And then he goes on and then um, and then he ends. And, and I'm going to read the whole kind of ending because it was kind of amazing. OK, and I want to leave with an expression of gratitude to God in whose hands all things lie. He has a plan for every one of our lives. Everything that comes from God is good. God is perfect. God makes no mistakes. And he has things planned for all of us. And we await eagerly to see what lies ahead. And so I leave tonight with one final prayer. And I use the words of King David, because I remain grateful to God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and your rule and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. May God strengthen our people. May God strengthen our nation. May God strengthen the conservative movement. May God strengthen the Republican Party. May God strengthen our eventual nominee. And may God always bless and strengthen this great nation, the United States of America. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you very much. Drop the mic. Ugh. So uh, one of my good friends. Can we get some applause the, there? The, like I've, I felt I, I, I felt like <laughs> I built that, built that up pretty well. That was a good reading. Um, one of my, my good friends, and uh, he's the former pastor at First Baptist uh, in Asheville, um, Guy Sales, who's an amazing person. Uh, he was diagnosed a couple of years ago with um, multiple myeloma, which is like blood cancer. And, you know, he's survived through the first round of treatments and he's, just has this amazing story, but he's, he's very hip with like uh, good music. Like he likes to listen to Williams and, and we, we often talk about that kind of stuff, but he wrote a response to Marco Rubio on his blog. It's called from the intersection. There's a link in the show notes. You should all go there and, and read his post. He posts once or twice a week. And it, it's, you know, if you're a stay at home Christian, it's, it's all the, the religion you need because it's good stuff. Um, he says Marco Rubio finished in third place in his home state's primary and interpreted the loss to mean that it was quote, not God's plan that I'll be president. So are we to believe that all elections and all decisions by political leaders somehow reflect quote, God's plan after I, after, Oh yeah. After I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma 
An acquaintance said to me, God knows that you are strong enough to bear this oh, cancer God. and give him glory through it. Really? What kind of God singles out people for misery in order to gain Ursat's glory? A plane crash survivor says, I was spared because God has more for me to do. What about the others who died? <laughs> was God finished with them? Was it God's purpose for Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr. to be assassinated? Does God want a child to suffer and die from leukemia? Did God plan for residents of Flint, Michigan to have undrinkable water or for mentally ill Vietnam veterans to live on the streets for older adults to live in fearful loneliness? It's too simple, and it leaves us with a God whom Jesus would not have served and did not reveal. And if we say that whatever happens, happens, um, and I'm sorry, if we say that whatever happens must have been God's will. So anyway, he keeps on going, but I, I love that part because yeah. you hear this so much in our culture that, oh, well, thank God I did that because, you know, I, I didn't get killed in that big accident on the interstate like all those other people. Right. Got killed. It was God's plan that I was five minutes late for work. And that's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had diarrhea, but that was a good thing because I had to stay in the john instead of getting on the on the road. And that tree fell and it would have killed me. Is that really the God you worship and you have in concept? And you hear it not only from, I would say, uninformed people, but you hear it from churches all the time. All the time. Well, so I mean, so, okay. So there is this idea of like the providence of God, right? <clears throat> And in this respect, right, you're typically thinking of Calvinism or something like that. Um, I'm thinking of you, Thomas, as a Presbyterian, right, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I'm so up <laughs> on the providence of God. Um, <laughs> and so it's the idea that God is in complete control because God has to be all powerful. Um, but, I mean, th there's there's a pretty, like, I mean, it's a the pretty obvious problem here, right? The problem of theodicy, which we don't need to get all into right now, but that's what guy sells is touching on a little bit but basically the odyssey says that um three things that these three things cannot simultaneously exist that god is all powerful that god is all knowing and that god is all loving um so either two of those are true and one of them isn't or something like that the the typical evangelical answer is no those are all true but sin entered the world because of free will um, so that, that's the typical evangelical answer. And that's kind of what most people are probably familiar with. But I mean, it is kind of crazy when you think about, um, like, does God, you know, if you have this conception of God, does God care, care about who gets elected president this year? You're probably thinking, man, I sure hope so. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is the kind of response that people have. And I think the reality is most people, they don't know what to say. And so they say this and they just sound like an idiot. And I'm completely comfortable in saying that that's what they sound like because that's what they are. Um, I, I personally think it's, it's really, really horrible and elementary theology. Um, and I think it is completely unaware um, it completely, it, it works to completely ignore the world in which we live. So, so is it, <laughs> I'll, I'll take Sorry. my personal hat back off and I'll, you know, be an academic again, but I just, I just can't no, stand I, it I because that. I mean, and you and I've dealt with this, right? Uh, like personally, we had a really, really close friend of ours die suddenly and, this is what we heard, right? Well, it was his time. 
or God needed another angel or, you know, just shit like that. And it's like, no, that's no, I don't believe that at all because that's, that's not, that's not something I can believe in. Yeah. I forgot about that. I mean, I forgot about the, the, even the service that we had afterwards. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's all the, you know, all the response I got was basically that. And I, and I think that, I mean, I think that's what Guy Sells does a good job of in his piece of, you know, bringing out the, just how crazy it is when you're like, oh, well, I'm so glad that, you know, God performed a miracle and saved my kid. So that means God didn't care about anybody, anybody else's kid that didn't get some, you know, you know just, some miraculous healing or whatever that you're talking about. Or like the, the movie where the kid has some kind of disease and falls out of a tree and all of a sudden <laughs> right, they hit their head and, and now they're like, yeah, yeah it's so stupid. I mean, that's straight out of uh, straight out of Samuel or something. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I think, and I think really what this does um, is most often we can recognize in what people think is God's will. We can recognize power and privilege. That's exactly the point I was going to make this, that theology and I'll let you talk because I want you to unpack that as Professor Joe McConnell always says. That theology serves the church that's spewing it or, or the pastor or even the person, you know, whether they're a deacon or a lay person, it, it serves them to be able to say, oh, I see you're suffering or I see something terrible has happened or I see that something terrible didn't happen. And I'm going to give the diagnosis for that. I'm going to say, well, that was God's will or that was you know thank god that happened to you or you know i'm so sorry for your loss but know that you know brother jim is now with with the lord which i think is the same type of theology um that serves the person who's saying it and it puts them in a position of power over that individual who was hurting because it gives that person a sort of a subconscious uh, level of comfort that that bad thing is not going to right. happen to them. You know, so I'm, I'm sorry, guy, you have multiple, you know, myeloma and that's terrible, but you know what? We, we serve a loving God and, and, you know, if God wants you to live, it's going to happen. If, you right. know, if God's done with you and you know, it's going to take you, you. It's easy for you to say, right. Or also, Hey, I'm Sam Harrelson and I don't want multiple myeloma. So I'm going to believe in a God who is that type of, you know, watchmaker who, who, you know, individually constructs these, you know, every moment details in our lives in order to either punish us or re reward us or keep us from evil or, you know, let no one trespass against right. us type thing. Um, and when we say the Lord's Prayer, it invites that type of theology if, if you're reading it at a, at a literal surface level. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just... I think about the NASCAR races where, you know, the, the pastor prays before and, you know, I just want to thank everyone for coming. I want to, I want to pray God protect you and, you know, pray for this beautiful day. It's like, no, God did not create the beautiful day. God is not going to protect <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr. Right. You know, I mean, maybe God can, but it, we're really invoking God to come down to a freaking NASCAR race and protect a guy from hitting the wall. Who chose no. of his own accord to get in a car and drive 200 miles an hour. 
uh, you know, using dead dinosaur blood. Is, is that really the God that we worship? And I mean, or that, that some Christians worship. I don't mean we as I mean you, uh, but <clears throat> I don't know, man. Yeah. That's, well, I, I think, right. So, so Flint is a good example, right? Right. Thank God. You know, so we got an email today living in the city of Tallahassee. They really like to boast about their water, but we got an email today that felt to really kind of be subtweeting like the Flint situation. Like, you know, we have great, safe, great tasting water. And also apparently they've, they say that they've won some awards on how great tasting the water is. I cannot drink the water in Tallahassee without filtering it. I'm sure I feel like it's safe, but man, it does not taste good at all. Um, but Right. There's a reason. I mean, we know this, right? We look at it systemically. We understand that there's a reason why the water was not fixed and still has not yet been fully fixed in Flint. It's because it's a city that's mostly poor and black. Right. That's not going to happen in in Atlanta. It's not going to happen in New York. It's not going to happen in L.A. It's not even going to happen in Detroit. Right. Where the politicians are. So. I mean, so should should I thank God that I live in, you know, that I have good, safe, clean drinking water? No, because I understand all of the systemic things that go into me living in a you know, really white city in Florida on the Gulf Coast that is a capital city that has three downtown universities, right, that cares about this kind of stuff and the people that are making the decisions have to live here and they don't want to deal with bad water. Right. As opposed to a city like Flint. Right. So I don't, I don't know. It's just, that's what I mean by, I think that you can see in here in, in these statements, power and privilege. Right. Because, yeah. you know, Oh, I, I was able to have, you know, afford the best doctors and go to the, you know, best specialists and, you know, but God healed my cancer. Well, actually, the people that went to, you know, spent years and years and years in medical school and that have, you know, built on all the people that went before them, they're the people that healed your cancer, right? Um, But the, the person, you know, the white person who has been working for minimum wage and has been living, you know, below the poverty line for 15 years that get di- gets diagnosed with cancer, God's not going to perform a miracle for her, right? And it's probably mainly because she doesn't have the same type of health insurance that you have, or maybe she doesn't have health insurance at all, right? So we see in this power and privilege. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it just, it's obviously something that really, really rubs me the wrong way. Well, I mean, here in Columbia, when we had the major floods back in October, um, which were, I mean, some parts of the city are still recovering from, and we just got a major grant from the federal government, thankfully. Um, The, the, the news, and I'm going to be unfair for a a moment, but the news really focused on the wealthy, predominantly white people who were affected by it in a, in a more well-to-do part of town called Forest Acres. Um, and, and yes, uh, you know, their, their suffering was real, but they're showing these massive houses and they're showing people pulling, you know, nice rugs and furniture and stuff out and then doing interviews with those people and, and them saying, well, you know, we lost everything or we lost this or we lost that. And it's okay because we've got good insurance. And I heard that so yeah. many times yeah. on the local news or the person who, you know, they interviewed some guy whose business got washed away basically. And he said, well, you know, it's terrible, but 
we're going to rebuild and, and we have good insurance. And, you know, that's why you that's why you should have good insurance, folks. And he was, you know, it, it was a nice attitude to have, you know, very nonchalant. And that's that's probably a good <laughs> coping yeah. technique at that point. Um, but but then our church works with this community. That's a trailer park. I mean, to put it bluntly, um, and they were right on the creek, and it really devastated a number of families who lost what little they did have. And there was no right. news back there. No there cameras. was yep. no coverage of that. There was no cognition of that. You know, it's it, it's the same thing that's happened since the beginning of time. But when you get back and read the Gospels, I think Jesus was talking about that trailer park community. You know, he wasn't talking about the nice white family whose kids go to private school and they have their boat out front, you know, that they're well, okay, going to go vacation while they redo our house. Exactly. Right. And they pay, I, I mean, I pay insurance, I pay business insurance, I pay personal insurance. Insurance is expensive. Uh, and if it comes down to buying milk or, you know, food for my kid or paying for insurance, I'm going to buy food for the kid. Uh, so when, when I, I mean, we, we had an event last week at, at this trailer park with, with our church and, and some of the kids from that community. And they're still recovering, you know, and they don't have summer clothes because it was wintertime when it happened. And, you know, all of their shorts got right. destroyed basically, or, or, you know, whatever. So they're like, yeah, we, you know, we need shorts and we need like summer stuff and it's stuff that I would right. never think of, or I can never, I could never think of. Um, so it's that God that, that we worship, you know, that involved where he's going to, you know, make you late for work so that the tree doesn't kill you, but also keep these people in poverty uh, because they're just lazy and, you know, they, they kind of deserve it. They can work their way up with, you know, a lot of good, hard American work. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that's the biggest challenge to, to organize religion right now is people realizing that message is, is, you know, well, crap. So, okay. So let's think about the Rubio statement, right? So his understanding is that God didn't want him to be president this year. And that's why he lost. So, I mean, the implication of that is that God apparently does want either Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, or John Kasich to be president, right? Because I'm, I'm positive Rubio does not think God wants Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders to be president. Maybe he does, right? But even if he does, so let's extend it to that and say, well, maybe that's what God wanted and I don't understand it. God's ways are not my ways, right? Maybe that's what he would say. Um, but so then he's saying that, well, this must mean God wants either Donald Trump or Ted Cruz or John Kasich or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders to be president. So whomever gets elected, then I guess we know now that it was bound to happen. It was inevitable because it was all part of God's plan. Right. And the interesting thing here with this theology is that it, it butts completely up against the idea in evangelical circles of free will. Right. Which I think is also something that Rubio That's... would espouse. And so how do you marry those two together? It's a really complicated kind of theological thing to do. You can't. Well, I don't, I don't think you can I mean, either, but you know, a lot of people want to do that. I oh, know. I oh, know you, you want that omnipotent, omniscient God from Plato who knows every hair on our head from Jeremiah 
before right. we're born. So therefore we can't have abortion because God already has a relationship with you. Um, and even if the kid is defective or, or in the, the uterus, I don't, I don't mean kid, but even if the uterus is, is not the uterus, geez, <laughs> the embryo, right. just had you a baby, but, uh, even if <laughs> seeing the diagrams, uh, even if the embryo, embryo is defective or, or, you know, something scientifically doesn't work, then uh, you can't do that. Cause in Jeremiah, it says God knows us, you know, at the moment of create or conception. Um, and I'm not, don't email me or email Thomas at thinking.fm. If you, want, if you want to go down that route. Uh, anyway, so we need to talk about abortion. That'd be a good episode. That would be a good one. It's actually, we're reading, I mean, so in my class, right, sex and sexuality and early Christianity, um, we, read, we read a text last time that uh, talked about abortion and why you couldn't, you know, so we're thinking about it in the ancient world as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I mean, so, so I, mean, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out, you know, who God wants to be president of the United States in a few months. So, uh, and, and just to kind of wrap that up, you really think Rubio is, uh, I mean, it's terrible to say it. So you think he's kind of held back on the, on the religion thing? Like he kind of kept his cards close to his chest, but he's, he's sec- secretly kind of, a. well, I think, I think it's kind of stump kind of speeches a, a and his, I think stuff. him in smaller groups, he is a little bit more comfortable using, um, religious discourse. I think on the national stage, he has not. Um, And I mean, I guess I need to do a little, I need to like put some stuff together, some data together to make my point here at some point. But uh, yeah, that's what I think. I think that this, uh, for a number of reasons, one, I I mean, this is just kind of anecdotally what it seems like to me, but also I cannot figure out another reason why he would have put so much in this speech. Right. I mean, it's it's yeah. not a well, one, it's a coping mechanism. Right. We know, I mean, well, we know this from you know a psychological standpoint. Uh, so we understand that. But he can talk about that and doesn't have to put it in his large national speech. Um, but it's I, I don't know how it helps him. Right. Politically, how does this help him? Right. But, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, that's what I was wondering. maybe that sounds crass, but that's the question we have to ask is because his, his political career is not over. I don't think. Um, I mean, he's got no, some growth no. to do, but I don't think for a second that his political career is over. He's a young guy. He's a good politician as far as politicians go. He really should be. I mean, if the Republican Party is smart, he really should be kind of the future of the Republican Party. Um, so the, so you have to think, how does this help him politically? And I don't know. Yeah, and because he's not running for senator, right? right? Like he's he's done and. Yeah, that's and, and you couple that with someone like Ted Cruz, who seems so obviously fake. That's <laughs> you know, certainly the way he comes. He's, he's gone from Catholic to, to Methodist to, to Presbyterian to whatever he is now. And, you know, nothing wrong with shopping for your favorite church or whatever. But like it, this pastor persona that he's put on since Iowa is really interesting to me because I, I didn't think he was going to go that route. But um Maybe, you know, Marco sees Ted being popular with that group and wants to well, capitalize on that. Or, you know, Ben Carson. Right. Well, that too. Sakes. But but if you think, right, Marco was in the establishment lane, right? And that is a... Yeah, right. Yes, right. in the Republican Party, you have to talk about your faith and you have to talk about Judeo-Christian values and stuff like that. But, you know, like Bush kind of seemed to do it only as much as he had to, right? Seemed to kind of want to keep that stuff personal. Um, I think Marco did it as much as he thought he should 
And then I think we're seeing in this speech that maybe he's he would be more comfortable doing it more. That, I mean, that, that's my kind of, I guess it's not a hot take now. It's been a couple of days, but um, that's my initial analysis of this. Yeah. It, it really is fascinating to, to see him kind of fall apart. Well, he can always get a job in academics. <laughs> he probably can, right? <laughs> I bet he could if he wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're not going to go into that. Um, we'll save that for another show. Um, but hey, come come next Tuesday, we'll get to know um, who God wants to win the Arizona primaries, right? So uh, this is this is I'm good to know now. Trump I mean, yeah, this is great to know now, right? So when we're when we're watching, we just know well this was God's plan. Well, and it was God's plan for the CNN or the Fox News debate not canceled, to happen tonight, right? exactly. <laughs> Which, isn't that crazy? Like Donald Trump says, "Yeah, I'm not going to show up," and all of a sudden yep. it's canceled. Wait. Wow! Just ha- I would I would love a one on one debate between uh, Kasich and Cruz. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah. Well, so um, Chris Wallace like took take Kasich to task because after Trump said he wasn't going to go, then Kasich said, "Well, if he's not going, I'm not going." And Chris Wallace said, "You complain in every single debate about how much you know how little time you feel like you get." And if you had said, yes, you would go, then we would have had the debate and you would have been two hours with just you and Cruz. It's like, don't give me that crap, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that would have been but, awesome. You know, so what people were I thinking mean, is, hey, it looks unlikely Trump, though I, I'm i not convinced of this, but some people are saying it looks unlikely that Trump gets to 1237 on his own, but he does with Kasich's delegates. Like, I'll let you make your own conclusion. Um, so you kind of have to wonder if there's something going on there, too. Right. He kind of jumps out immediately after Trump says he's not showing up and says, well, if he's not going to be there, I'm not going to be there. It seems to me the guy that that really wants to win. Right. Which is mathematically impossible for him at this point, at least before a contested convention. Um, A guy that would really want to win and try to rack up as many delegates as he could to be in the best possible position for a contested convention would say, absolutely. I want two hours where it's only me and one other candidate, and that other candidate is not this crazy guy, Donald Trump, who sucks all the air out of the room. Yeah, that's true. So that and and I think Trump is not going to do well in a in a field of three type debate. I mean, I could see him skipping every debate from this point on because he, he doesn't, doesn't need, need it. He has it wrapped up essentially, right? He has, from here on out. Yeah, and when they're twelve, he has to people, win fifty four percent of the remaining delegates. He won over sixty percent this week, right? So fifty four percent is not a big ask for him. Well, in, in in a in a room with twelve people on stage, it's one thing. But when it gets down to two or three, you've really got to step it up in terms of your, of your performance. And I think he's scared. I of think that. so too. Which, <laughs> you know, like which it, is why I'm honestly really looking forward to Trump Clinton debates in the general. I mean, if there's oh, one thing God. that Hillary Clinton is good at, she knows her stuff. Right? And I don't think yeah, nobody can deny that. Like she knows her policy. She knows every single a piece of legislation. She knows the amendments on it. She knows the votes. Now Trump doesn't have any votes in his history, but she's going to know everything that he said. Right. I mean, she, yes, yes. He should be scared of a, de- a debate with a smaller number of people on stage where you actually have to know what you're talking about. And I think you're right. I think that's part yeah. of what's going on. He feels like, well, I don't, you know, I think I can, I think I've got it wrapped up now and I don't need to go and do that and expose myself because that's what it would be. Yeah, that's no, totally. I mean, and honestly, that's why Mitt Romney had a had a chance uh, in 2012 is because he did so much better than Obama in yeah. the first couple of debates. 
and he really kind of showed him up because Mitt Romney is a policy yeah. wonk. You know, he's a he's a finance guy. He knows how to take stats and numbers and memorize them and, and make nice pitches. And, you know, Obama's a little more conceptual. And, and, and too, I think. Yeah. Uh, and too, I think Obama was like, I think he just thought he was going to. Seriously, like, you're, you're going right. to write to Mormon. He was like, really? Come on, guys. Like, look at me. Like, we all know. <laughs> That's win, the best you can do. Right? And then he was like, oh, crap. Hold on. Um yeah, yeah, I mean, it got a little yeah. little testy there for a while. So, do you, do you, uh, in closing, do you think Trump's going to get it? Do you think Trump's going to yes. be the nominee, or are we going to roll into Columbus and Cleveland? Columbus, right? Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland rocks. Man, there's going to be <laughs> so much, so much crap. It's a, uh, it's an open I, I mean, carry state, isn't know. it? Right. Oh, I mean, it I don't know. I mean, it, it could be. It could be the place where the Republicans say, "Look, we know you got it, but we're still going to put you on the ballot." But we're going to vote, you know, and if it goes into the second day or third day, I mean, well, here's what, here's what I know, think. You've got, I, I, you've got Boehner saying John or uh, Paul Ryan. Yeah, Paul Ryan John, should yeah be Boehner's here. coming out supporting Paul Ryan for the nomination. Um, here's what I think. I, I think um, Trump is going to get to 1237 before the convention and it's going to be a moot point. I think all of this talk about a, a contested convention is hopeful. I think it's futile, but I think it's hopeful. And I think that's all it is. It's smart to be prepared. But I don't think it's going to be a thing. I also think if they do happen to keep him from getting to 1237 and they get to the convention, I don't see any way Trump, who has the overwhelming majority of delegates, you cannot. I know how the rules are and I know by the rules you can do it, but you cannot take that away from the voters. And I think that as much as anything, that is what will destroy the Republican Party. Now, there are some people that are saying, hey, you know, Eric Erickson saying this, like we've got to, you know, have a new conservative movement or whatever. And we've got to be start talking about a new political party, you know, people that used to be Republican. Uh, and that's fine. And and we may see this happen anyway. But I, th- I, hope but so. I think it will be. <laughs> that's my party. Yeah. So the other thing I think that, that makes me believe that either way, Trump is going to be the nominee. I think it's that. Um and I also think what we see is we consistently see Republicans getting in line behind Trump consistently, right? Paul Ryan said we can work with him, right? So, I mean, th- the problem that the establishment has with Trump is only his tone. It's only that he's, as far as I can tell, it is only that he's saying explicitly what they've been dog whistling for decades. Didn't you uh, I did write a write a about this in Martinelli? Um, so, I mean, that's, yes, I'm convinced now that Trump will be the nominee and I think he's absolutely right. I think, I think he kind of threw it out as a threat, uh, but I do think he's right that if he's not the nominee, there will be riots. I think so too. I mean, I think someone's going to get hurt and it's going to be bad. Um, but, but you think he's going to get the votes. Yes. I, th- I think he's going to get to he's going to get the 1237 delegates that he needs to wrap up the nominee, the nomination before the convention. Um, <clears throat> yes, that's what I think will happen. But even if it doesn't and it goes to contested convention, I still think he comes out as the nominee. Yeah, I mean, Cruz is, you know, he's he can be strong in some of these Western states that we're getting to now. But. With Rubio out. um. Okay, here's the question. 
if right. if, if Trump gets California, that's it, right? Yes, yes. I mean, but but here's the question, right? If you say, okay, well, Rubio's out, and what Cruz wants is a two way race because he thinks he can beat, he thinks he can really, you know, beat Trump or you know, really do really well against him in a two person race. I don't think he can. I actually think that's a worse strategy. I actually think the better strategy, if you're trying for a contested convention, was to leave Marco in the race because now he has 159 delegates that are unbound and they can go to whomever, right? But where? So one, where are yeah, those delegates no, going to go? Completely and agree. then two, where right. are Rubio's supporters going to go? They're not going to go to Cruz. At least the vast majority of them aren't. Rubio voter, Rubio supporters right. and Cruz supporters are like oil and water, right? I mean, they are completely different. So this idea that everybody is just going to coalesce around Cruz, which is what he keeps telling people to do. And, you know, he's saying, welcome Marco Rubio supporters and whatever. Uh, that's just not going to happen. The other thing is as much as they, as everyone dislikes Donald, I mean, they hate, I mean, they loathe Ted Cruz. And so I really think, and this is the, you know, what we were seeing a couple of weeks ago and then all the violence started happening. People started walking this back a little bit, but I still think ultimately the establishment believes Trump is better than Cruz is one, because we believe yeah. Cruz is a true well, believer and we don't want that. And we also think that if we nominate Trump and he loses, that's better for our party in the long run than nominating Cruz and the potential that Cruz would win. I completely agree. And, and I think if, if it came down to a decision between Trump and Cruz, then the party's going to say, okay, Trump, you know, if, if that's the, the binary decision, but I think the party's going to do everything it can to get to a contested convention so that, you know, Paul Ryan or Mitt Romney or someone can swoop in and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a Paul Ryan, Jeb Bush ticket. Yeah, which is going to blow the Bush party up, me. right? I mean, I want to see, <laughs> really like, for, the, I mean, for the pure entertainment value of it, this is exactly <laughs> what I want to see, right? But oh. you talk about, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to not use the imagery that I was going to use, but yes, I mean, it, it's a it's a suicide mission. It's what it is for the Republican Party, right? I mean, if that's what you do, I don't, I don't see any other way to talk about that other than you're going in knowing that you're blowing the party up. But but it's because you want to say, you know, we were on the right side. Um, or, or is it like thinking if we put Trump up and he says stupid things and the general, then it's going to hurt us, you know, both with the other races that are going on in 2016 and in 2018. You know, like... Yeah. Oh, the Republicans are so weak that they don't, they, they can't even stand up to Donald Trump or they can't get this clown out, you know, and, and the big donors who are, I mean, yes, you have the Koch brothers and that kind of thing, but big Republican donors for the most part are not crazy wing nuts. You no, know, that's they're, the problem. they're people that want this problem because they think exactly. I mean, this is what everything that I see is they think Cruz believes what he's saying. They don't care what you say. They don't right. want you to some of that stuff. And they believe Cruz believes it. And that's the problem with Cruz. Yep, exactly. And I think, uh, you know, the party is, is afraid that if they put Donald up, then they're going to lose some of that that donor base. Yes. And they're and uh, at, at least. In yeah. And they're going to lose down ballot, I think, pretty big. Um, 
yeah, that that's what I think is going to happen. I think they're they're going to lose down ballot pretty big if they put Trump on the ticket. Um, but the but the other but thing, if they put Paul Ryan on the ticket, it's going to explode. But the other thing is right. Okay, right. Because if you go to a contested convention and you nominate somebody else, Trump is going to try to run as a third party candidate, and he's going to take that thirty or forty percent of the Republican Party that he already has. And right, so it's not like you have any chance of winning a general if you don't put Trump. So some, someone just said that uh, on Twitter today, and there was a back and forth uh, between some politicos that I follow who said, what if contest convention, there's a third party because Trump doesn't get the nomination and no one gets to 270 and it goes to the House? Or what if Trump gets the nomination and the Republican elites, you know, the big donors decide to throw, you know, Paul Ryan into the race or, or some no name, but someone who's a third party, you know, traditional conservative, not Ted Cruz conservative, throw that person into the race. So then you have Clinton versus Trump, the Republican versus this third party person who brings in all of the, you know, libertarian party and the, the, uh, America United Party and, you know, th- this, the Ross Perot Republicans, right. if you will. So then you have, you know, kind of like, like what happened with Ralph Nader, you know, but not as big back in 2000. Uh, so then, you know, say that person gets 20, 30% of the vote because people like me who are traditional, you know, quote Republicans would, would be attracted to that. Not Michael Bloomberg, but someone, you know, who could really hop in there and, and make some, make some damage. A Colin Powell, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which has always been the great white hope, of, you know, <laughs> right. obviously. Um, I, I think all <laughs> that does is make it easier for Clinton to get to 270 quicker. But, but say, but say, you know, that this candidate can attract Clinton people, or uh, even if Trump runs as third party and there's somebody else, just say that they can't, get to 270 like that no one can get both ohio and florida and pennsylvania then it goes to the house of representatives yeah i understand that that's a and we we have an 1828 situation where you know calhoun i mean not calhoun andrew jackson you know wins the popular vote and should have been president but martin van buren is the house of representatives pick because it was his turn right well i mean we've we've already seen people winning the popular vote and not winning the presidency right um in our lifetime right with bush gore (laughs) But the right. House of Representatives yeah, uh, decided. Right. No, I understand that that is technically a possibility. I don't see any way that happens. I, I think that as it is, if it's just Trump Clinton, I think she sells to the nomination. I think if you put a third party in there and split the Republican vote even more, because you'll get people that will hold their breath and vote for Trump. But if they get a you know, more establishment figure and they'll go vote for that person. So all you're doing is splitting the Republican vote. You're splitting the non-democratic vote. Um, even more, which I think just makes it that much easier for Clinton to get to 270. But it's not about the the popular vote in that case. You know, it's about who wins Ohio, who wins Florida, who wins Pennsylvania. Maybe Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I understand, and you know? maybe I just don't see that as a. I I see that as a scenario that that helps her, but. The last, I hope it happens. I want the to last the point <laughs> that I, that I want to make, uh, the reason, another reason why I'm convinced that Trump will be the nominee and that the Republican Party is ultimately just going to get behind him as they continue to do is because one, that's what they've been doing. And two, if you look at the money, 
they didn't start spending money against him until like a week before the Florida primary when they were like, oh, all this violent stuff is bad. We've got to get out and, you know, spend money against him. Right. I mean, if they really wanted Trump out, they could have been spending money for months against him and they haven't done it. So it says to me that they don't really want him out that badly. Well, they, they didn't want him out at the beginning because the ratings were good and because the donations were good. So not only, you know, it was kind of an umbrella effect of, you know, the attention that Trump was bringing to the to the primary season was helping all these other candidates and it was helping the Republican National Convention, you know, and, and, it, and it necessarily wasn't helping the image of the Republicans. But, you know, money talks and we all know Trump's not going to get, you know, he's going to he's going to peter out. He's not going to get anywhere close to the, to the nomination. Um, you know, but that money is good money. Right. So, yes. <laughs> and, and I think that yeah, was no, the situation. I think that's and, and they right. waited until January to say, oh, shit, you know, Trump's Trump's gone a lot farther. Than but even he, in uh, January, they weren't it. actually putting up money. They were they have still spent more money. There are still there's still more money spent in anti Marco Rubio ads than anti Trump ads. Right. So I don't believe for a second that they that they actually don't want Trump in that badly or else they put the money where their mouth is. That's what I think. They want Trump's people in. They want the, those angry white well, yeah. male 40 to right, 60 because year olds he's been able to speak to them in a way that they've class. been trying to do and failing to do for two decades. And if those people, if those white guys don't vote, then the Republicans so don't they don't win either way, I don't think. But. Not in this election. Well, I mean, but, you know. That's, yeah. No. All right. So we're going to end it there. Unless it gets to the house. <laughs> Unless it gets to the house. We will see. We will. Right. And the beauty of this is everything's going to be completely different next week. And see, that's the thing. So you say it can't happen. But six months ago, if you told us we'd be right here right now, I'd say you're crazy. So we'll see. Hopefully Cleveland doesn't burn down. I'd buy fire insurance <laughs> if I lived in Cleveland. Yeah, you might need it. Make sure your car insurance is good. Okay. Make sure you're not parked on the street. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> people are going to flip yeah. your car over. It's going to um, All right, you can follow <laughs> Sam on Twitter at Sam Harrelson. You can follow me at Thomas Whitley. Tell us why we're wrong, because that's probably what a lot of you've heard today has been about. Um, and you know, introduce oh, and, yeah, and also before you do that, uh, you can email us. Emails on the on the site or in the show notes. Uh, you can also uh, go onto iTunes, leave comments, leave ratings. It, I mean, I'm not begging here because that's always lame and I hate shows that do that. But if you give us a good review, it really does help. Um, or in whatever, whatever podcasting you listen to, share it with your friends, share it with your family. Um, we're pretty kid friendly. We dropped a couple of S-bombs, but that's okay. Um, and, and like us on Facebook and all that stuff. I just had to put that in, you know, because every six months we have to do <laughs> right, a little bit yeah. of marketing. Got to do the work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do that. That'd be great. Please. And as always, you can find more great podcasts at thinking.fm.